As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Always excited to do the VanCast, but particularly so today, Thomas, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the idea of arbitration in the National Hockey League, and I'm hoping that we can kind of take people behind the curtain with... Two guys that are intimately familiar with the process, Alan Walsh, a prominent player agent, and Brendan Morrison, the popular former Canuck, has one of the most talked about arbitration cases it was from 2002, and we're still uh, referring to it all these years later. So uh, we thought it's that time of year, it's arbitration season, if you will, and I think we can have some fun and hopefully also educate some people on the program today as well. Indeed, and uh, of course the Canucks is... Uh, only arbitration hearing scheduled for the 28th has now been settled. Jake Vertanen right. signing a two times, what, I guess it's $5.1 million deal, $2.55 million cap hit. We don't have the breakdown yet. Uh, I'm working on it. Um, but the, you know, there's a lot of ramifications from this. First of all, it's a, a more team-friendly settlement than I'd expected based on Vertanen's excellent production in his platform year I, I thought he had the case to shoot for more uh certainly shoot for you know in the mid like somewhere in the mid-range between 2.5 and and 3 million if you'd told me if you'd bet me the under um if you'd bet me the under on 2.6 I would have jumped on that like absolutely I probably would have given you odds on that so <laughs> this is a tidy bit of business for the Canucks and you know allows them to avoid arbitration with a with a player in Vertan and I think everyone expected that to be the case. This was going to be a tough case for both sides just because, you know, the Canucks have a lot of different things that they can argue in terms of Vertanen, uh, you know, the fact that his production hasn't been at the level of his platform year, that he shot a career-high percentage, etc. But also from Vertanen's side, uh, the fact that his production was so good this past year gave him a lot of bullets in the chamber as well to maybe get an award that the Canucks would have 
had a little bit more t- of a tough time fitting into their salary cap puzzle. So no <laughs> surprise that this has settled and uh, will be interesting to see now whether Vertanen can get himself ready and take advantage of an unparalleled opportunity in his young career. Well, it was nice of them to make news for us to talk about, but it also uh, doesn't fit in with the uh, arbitration show necessarily that we had these grand plans and we thought maybe that, you know, that would still be a possibility, although I think most people did anticipate that these two sides would get something done. It is funny on a team with Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, that Jake Furtanen still may be the most talked about Canuck on a day-to-day basis. I mean, he's so polarizing. Uh, numbers jump off the page. Uh, 18 goals. You can't argue with that. Uh, six of them came on the power play. And really, when you think about power play too, you know, we talked about this a lot over the course of the season. Not a lot of ice time. I mean, power play goals per 60, Jake was up there because that second unit just didn't get a lot. It was mop-up duty, essentially. And yet they were still productive and a lot of it off the stick of Jake for Tannen. And yet at the other end of the spectrum, when you look at it, uh, before COVID hit, the final 21 games. So you go back to like the all-star break up until COVID hit, Jake scored one even strength goal. It was the ninth goal in that 9-3 win at home against the Boston Bruins. So, you know, all this time has passed and I still sort of wrestle with the way his season broke down. Again, 18 goals, you can't argue with that. Uh, probably would have got to 20, although remember when Toffoli came in and Besser came back, Jake was bumped a lot lower in the lineup, and if he was playing with Jay Beagle on the regular, uh, scoring goals was going to be difficult for him. So I don't know if he was going to get to 20, but the odds are that if he had played a full 82-game season, that 20 goals was within reach, and he did get two in the playoffs, so I suppose he got the two that he needed to say he scored 20 goals in this strange uh, (laughs) COVID-infested season that that existed. But uh, again, just he's a polar rising guy he is like some guys are all in on the hey you know the shotgun jake can't get enough and there are others that wonder if this guy truly has a spot in this vancouver canuck lineup yeah and and this is often the case for guys with loud skills vertanen is a you know extraordinary skater uh he's obviously got the nhl size and he's obviously got the nhl shot um but there are you know, holes there in terms of his play along the wall, in terms of his ability to win battles, and in terms of his defensive zone coverage. And, you know, those are all things that you can learn if you're dedicated. The question is whether or not Vertanen can be at the level he needs to be um, in those areas if he's going to play at the top of the lineup. Because those things matter, right? Like, there's a reason Louis Erickson, like, there's a reason the Canucks can't get rid of Louis Erickson in the top six, right? And it's because he does those simple, dependable things so well. Um, those are, you know, they're almost like yin and yang, right? Like everything Louis Erickson can do, uh, Vertanen doesn't seem to be able to. Everything Vertanen does, Louis can't. Um, especially, you know, being exciting <laughs> to watch play on occasion. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not he can, you know, round out the consistency in his game in those details uh, and take advantage because really this is going to be an unparalleled opportunity in his career. Like you, you, the type of opportunity that comes along once if a guy is absolutely blessed and, you know, it would be a real shame if he can't seize it just in terms of everything the Canucks have invested in the, in the player. So Jake Vertanen will avoid arbitration, but we won't. That is sort of the thrust of the rest of this program here, this episode of the VanCast. And 
I hope that people enjoy this. It's a bit of a different topic, but it's not one that gets mm-hmm. discussed in great detail. And again, we've got two pretty good guests that uh, have lots of stories and will take us inside the world of National Hockey League arbitration cases. Brendan Morrison will join us a little bit later in the show, but we're going to start with Alan Walsh, who is one of hockey's most prominent player agents among his clients. Max Pacioretty, Jonathan Huberdeau, Jonathan Drouin. Uh, I think we all learned in the playoffs that he represents Marc-Andre Fleury as well, uh, can be fiercely loyal to his clients, as we know, and willing to mix it up and fight for what he feels is in their best interests. And Alan Walsh joining us here on the VanCast. Alan, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. Great to be with you guys. Yeah. Now, we're talking arbitration on this episode of the VanCast, and we saw this morning Connor Brown and the Ottawa Senators, the latest to avoid arbitration. Lots of cases filed. Few actually get before the arbitrator. As an agent, do you view arbitration as a last resort? I don't. I see arbitration as a useful tool in the the toolbox, and it serves a very important function. Uh, It guarantees that your client is going to be under contract for the next season at the end of the process, either by way of settlement or hearing, with a arbitrator's judgment. So um, going into the off season, a player with salary arbitration rights is going to have the knowledge at the start of the process that he will have a contract at the end of the process. What is the process for those of us that are never going to be in that room? Like, do both sides make an opening statement? I think you submit your cases in advance so that the arbitrator has a, a sense of where you guys are. Like, can you just kind of walk us nuts and bolts through the process a little bit? Sure. Uh, let's say uh, I have a client who is filing for arbitration. Uh, per the CBA, there's an arbitration filing deadline. And uh, once the case is filed, there is a uh, conference call that takes place between the NHLPA and the NHL after the filing deadlines where they have the entire uh, list of all players who have filed. And through a trading off process, the league and the PA set a schedule of the arbitration uh, cases uh, over the course of the entire period where there are hearings, which is usually, usually uh, a, a three-week process where all of the cases are heard. So then, then you get a schedule. And, and the NHLPA has a team of outside lawyers who are assigned uh, uh, arbitration cases. The NHL teams use... Uh, a a few law firms that have traditionally been involved in in prepping and arguing all of the arbitration cases on the league side. And then at a certain point in time before your hearing date, there is an exchange of briefs. So the player will submit his brief to the arbitrator and send it to the club. And the club will send their brief uh, to to the arbitrator and also uh, to the player and the player's agent in the NHLPA. And in the briefs, there is an ask. So at the end of the brief, the player's brief will say, based on all the foregoing, we're asking for X amount of dollars. The league will have an ask as well. 
one key point to, to remember in all of this. If the player files for arbitration, the club can elect a two-year award provided it does not infringe on the player's unrestricted free agency rights. And if the club files for arbitration, then conversely, the player can, can uh, elect a one or a two-year deal as well. Alan, when you're prepping a client to go through this process, what's the most important thing that you want to make sure that they're ready for uh, in the event that there is, in fact, a hearing? You know, historically, uh, and we're going back now into the, the 90s, arbitration hearings were much more commonplace. And the hearings themselves um, were generally a very negative experience for the player. Uh, there's a famous case of uh, Tommy Salo, uh, who went to arbitration, and Mike Mil Milbury testified uh, during the hearing. The story goes that Tommy Sala was sitting there and actually had tears running down his cheeks during Mike Mil Milbury's testimony. Uh, allegedly, it was very brutal. That doesn't happen anymore. The CBA uh, lists uh, very... Uh, uh, the CBA lists uh, a, a group of, of items that are admissible in a hearing. And, you know, a, a GM cannot take the stand and talk about uh, he's a bad teammate or he has off-ice issues or, uh, you know, look at some of the media that has been generated in our market. None of that is admissible. It's really a very academic exercise where, uh, based on enumerated statistics, uh, grouping in comparable players, and then arguing based on the comparable players who the player is most comparable to in the subset, and then building an argument off of that. So, so it's, it's not where a team can come in anymore and just trash a player. And since that part of the arbitration process was cleaned up many moons ago, I've had players go through the arbitration process and at the end of it say, you know, that wasn't anywhere near as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> In, in terms of the sort of outside of the admissible stats and the official NHL statistics and, you know, whether or not a team or a player decides to present something a little more complicated than just ice time or, or hits, um, when you get into some of the things that are a little bit more interpretive that, that are admissible, things like special qualities of leadership or public appeal or the overall performance, uh, or sorry, no, it's the overall contribution of a player to the competitive success or failure of his club in the preceding season. When you're preparing that, like wh whether it's in advance, whether it's during the playoffs prior to the season ending, how do you go about preparing the strongest possible case for your clients that may be headed to arbitration? 
a lot of it is is um, research. A lot of it is just common knowledge about your player and having a dialogue with the NHLPA and then ultimately ultimately the the lawyers assigned to that particular arbitration. I'm a lawyer as well, and I spent six years as a trial lawyer. I was a prosecutor. I spent six years in front of juries almost on a daily basis. Uh, so I'm comfortable in that setting and I'm comfortable in that process. The one thing you have to keep in mind is this. Over the last five, six years, very few cases have actually gone to a hearing. I would say if I'm, I'm just guessing now with the percentage, I would say well over 95% of all arbitration filings end in a settlement and not hearing and, and judgment of the arbitrator. So really the, the, the arbitration process itself acts as a catalyst to both sides making the deal before the case is actually heard. And, and one situation that I can relay to you now, um, several years ago, Antoine Vermette, uh, my client had filed for arbitration uh, with the uh, Ottawa Senators. And uh, we negotiated uh, extensively with the Senators. Brian Murray was the GM at the time all the way up to uh, the date of the hearing. Uh, the night before the hearing, uh, Brian, Antoine, and I had dinner together and uh, talked over dinner about where he was at and what he could do and where we were at. And there was a tiny little bit of movement at that point in time. In the morning, in the morning Brian and I met for coffee alone and we talked some more about uh, uh, trying to bridge the gap between us. Uh, we walked together uh, from the hotel coffee shop down to the arbitration room, which was actually a, a ballroom inside the hotel in Toronto. Um, uh, everybody was there. The arbitrator arrived. The uh, legal department of the NHLPA was there. The lawyers from the NHL were there. The lawyers working on the case with me and Antoine were there. And uh, we're 20 minutes before the start of the hearing. And uh, Brian and I went for a walk and, and we still, through the lobby, and we still are apart and, and talking continuously. And uh, we, the arbitrator is calling the hearing to start and uh, just before the hearing actually started, Brian got up from his chair and came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, do you have a moment? Everything stopped. We went outside. And at that moment, we made the deal. <laughs> uh, wow. You cited the Tommy Sallow example, Alan. What is the player's role in the hearing? Are they always in the room? Do they have to be in the room? And, and do they ever get to speak? The players are always in the room. Uh, and I don't think uh, I would ever consider putting on an arbitration hearing without the client being present. 
So, uh, and I've never heard of an arbitration ever taking place, a salary arbitration without the player being physically in the room. Um, the player at times have, have, have testified in, uh, in an arbitration case about a point that may have come up. Mainly the, the player would testify in rebuttal uh, to, to uh, add some flavor to a point or to uh, speak about uh, a particular statistic that needed clarifying. Although most of the time, uh, the, the player doesn't testify. Uh, and again, the entire exercise, if I had to classify it, we're talking now just about actually putting on the hearing, is rather dry, uh, academic, um, slow going. Uh, there, was, there was a hearing that I did with a player um, after the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup in 2003. And uh, the law firm, there's a law firm that, that at the time was doing almost all of the arbitrations on behalf of NHL teams. They all hired this particular law firm. And there were a few lawyers who had been doing NHL arbitration cases, arguing them, writing the briefs and arguing them on behalf of NHL clubs for many, many years. And uh, this particular case was being argued by a, a relatively new lawyer on the scene with just a couple of years of experience. I, I think he was under 30 years of age. And uh, he had, early in the hearing, wrote down uh, on an easel, on a, like on a blackboard, the names of the comparable players that they were using uh to advance their case and the amount of money they were making um in in salary uh, as comparable to my client and this lawyer got up and walked to the easel and reviewed the names and how much they were making no less than 20 times in the first two hours of the hearing <laughs> and and it, it got so bad that I looked, the, the GM at the time was Jay Feaster with Tampa. And, and, he, and it was starting to just, it was just starting to bother me how many times he was getting up and going over there and repeating the exact same <laughs> thing. And I looked over at Jay Feaster and he looked at me and he rolled his eyes. And then I took, <laughs> I took my cell phone out and I text him across the table and I said, if he gets up one more time and goes to the easel, I'm going to shoot him. <laughs> and I saw Jay look at his phone and Jay laughed out loud in the middle of the hearing. And everyone kind of looked at him and he went, oh, sorry. <laughs> Alan, over time, things have changed, obviously, become more academic. We've seen more settlements, partly as a result, but we're also seeing now a secondary market that's increasingly robust and created every qualifying offer deadline. We all know that this one was the most 
robust that we've ever seen and that's sort of a product of the flat cap. But when you consider those changes and where we're at now, in your view, does the arbitration system still work for players or is it becoming you know, more difficult, especially with some of those sort of third, fourth contract guys um, who are increasingly being cut loose as opposed to teams risking the uncertainty of arbitration? Yeah, and it's happened to, it's a great question, and it's happened to um, a few clients uh, this year where teams were projecting where they were going to be under the cap. Uh, they're looking at the free agent market and and projecting what the player in question's individual salary arbitration range would be. And based on that, they really liked the player. They would have loved the player to come back. But the exposure on the team side to a potential ARB number priced him out of his team. And, and we've seen that this cycle more than ever before. And it's largely a function of the flat cap. I mean, we all know that NHL teams project out uh, one, two, three years into the future, and they factor in a projection on where they expect the upper limit to be. So last season, many teams were operating under the assumption that we would have an 85, 84, 85 million upper limit this offseason and uh, going fast forward another year um, 88 89 and uh, fast forward another year the projection began with a nine we were going to be in the 90 million plus range and 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 what we know now is that the upper limit will most likely remain flat for at least three years. And you have teams now looking at their own restricted free agents who are going to be coming off entry-level deals in a year, and they have to save cap space for those players. And so, so sometimes you'll look at a team and you'll say, well, they've got five or six million right now available and yes that's true but really the only player they could fit into that um that that structure is a player on a one-year deal because once you go beyond one year term you're probably encroaching on the on the space they have to save to sign their own very highly uh considered uh group two free agents uh, within within a year. There's a school of thought, especially among a, a variety of team executives, that the arbitration process itself is, you know, not as efficient as the final offer arbitration system in baseball. That, you know, if you had a panel of judges as opposed to just one, and teams knew, teams and agents knew that one side's argument would win, that you'd essentially narrow the range that teams are filing on and, and potentially create more incentive for settlements as opposed to everyone just kind of understanding that the King Solomon approach will likely rule and that the arbitrator will just come down the middle. Um, what are your thoughts on final offer arbitration and would it, in your view, um, 
be a, be a beneficial system for the NHL to adopt when you know we look past the 2026 expiry of this recent CBA? I hate it, and I hate it because uh, right now, and and going back uh, really to 2000, all the way back to 2005, I think the NHLPA has has ruled the day with respect to arbitration. Uh, with a few notable exceptions, uh, the PA has a, a very impressive track record uh, with regard to managing uh, the body of arbitration files each offseason. And, uh, and, and their strategies have truly maximized uh, player compensation, uh, driven really good settlements. And in the few cases that, that have gone to hearing uh, since 2005, there's not a, there's not a, a huge body of cases um, and, and even less over the last five, six years. But in the cases that have gone to hearing, the players have done very, very well. So I don't see any impetus from, from our side. I certainly understand why people on the league side would want to go <laughs> to, to that system. I certainly understand mm-hmm. why, but uh, understanding that I'm, I'm an agent and I'm on the player's side, I, I wouldn't want to see any changes to it. It's working very well for us. Alan, some great insight, uh, some terrific stories as well. Uh, really appreciate you taking a little time to join us here on the VanCast, and hopefully the listeners uh, get a better appreciation of all that goes into the arbitration process. Thanks for doing this. It's a pleasure. Pleasure. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Always great to get the agent's perspective. Uh, So now we've heard from an agent that has been through arbitration. Uh, Let's hear from a player and get his thoughts on this whole process as well. And not just any player, one of the most uh, popular players in recent memory in Vancouver and one of the great arbitration cases. We'll get Brendan Morrison to tell uh, the story himself. Brennan Morrison played parts eight seasons for the Vancouver Canucks. And of course, we remember him as the center on the West Coast Express. And he's joining us here on the VanCast. Brennan, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. This is like a throwback. Uh, you and I used to do uh, radio a fair bit when you were playing for the Canucks. So it's uh, great to get you back on. And we wanted to get you on because your arbitration story sort of lives on in hockey lore. And this being that time of year where... Uh, lots of arbitration cases scheduled. Not too many actually make it to ARB, but uh, let's go back to the summer of 2002. You took the Canucks to arbitration. Kurt Overhart was your agent at the time. And I know a lot is made of the arbitration process and how it's not a lot of fun, but I have to say, you nearly tripled your salary, so it couldn't have been all bad. Well, I think the outcome uh, worked out pretty good, but but uh, yeah, I, I think my mindset going into it was you know, we, we felt comfortable that we were still getting confident we were going to get a deal done. We just felt this was almost like an insurance blanket, if you will, where, hey, if things for some reason don't go the way that we envision them, that we have this to fall back on and we know something will get done. 
Now, the elephant and the mouse story still gets told all these years later. Uh, were you in the room, first of all? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, that still still brings tears to my eyes how, how funny it was. But, uh, you know, like when you go into arbitration, I don't know if a lot of people know, but you, you're you like in an intimate room, a, a small office setting with, with virtually, um, you know, a, a desk separating you and management and arbitrator is sitting at the head of the table and so you're about three four feet apart from from the other party so it, it's a it's a very intimate experience now that story obviously has been told a million different times in a million different ways and you know there's little details that differ on occasion like there's some versions of the story that you're beat red and laughing and like struggling like biting your lips trying not to break out laughing during it there's stories where it ends with uh the i guess it was the nhl's lawyer who who was a uh, quebecois gentleman yelling at the end of it brendan morrison is dumb mouse um can you separate fact from fiction for us like what was your reaction in the moment and how do you remember it all going down well, I remember, um, you know, the process of, you know, you open up with kind of your argument and they, they rebuttal and then you mm -hmm. can kind of rebut there. And it's, so you, you, you get two different times where you can speak. And so they were wrapping up their final kind of uh, case, I guess, if you will. And, and uh, you know, there had already been some things said in, in the hearing. You know, I, I, I had a fairly significant role on the penalty kill and and thought I did a decent job but you know it was brought to my attention in that meeting that the only reason why I killed penalties is because they had no one else to put out on the ice so things <laughs> like that you're like really is this really happening right now but anyway so so uh yeah the lawyer for the for the team goes off on a tangent about uh you know basically kind of trying to compare an anomaly my story to this uh to this tale about uh, an elephant and a mouse in the jungle. <laughs> I was like, really, an elephant and a mouse? And so I, I kind of bit my lip and it was really, it actually was tough to look him in the eye. I had to put my head down. But he kind of went on to off on a tangent, like, you know, this reminds me of the time where there was an elephant and a mouse and they're in the jungle and, you know, they're walking side by side and they come upon a raging river and there's a, the bridge is broken and there's no way across and the mouse looks up to the elephant and says, you know, how are we going to cross this river? And the elephant looks at the mouse and says, hop on my back. I'll take you across safely to the other side. So the mouse jumps on the elephant's back and he walks through the raging river and gets to the other side. And the mouse hops off and he's safe. And, and I'm like, what is going on right now? Like, what? And then he yells at the top of his lungs, and this is the story of Morrison, Naslin, and Bertuzzi. <laughs> Morrison is the mouse. <laughs> so, I, like, honestly, I think Berkey and Dave Nolan even had a smile on their face when when he belted that line out. But uh, it was it was uh, it was pretty entertaining for sure. Yeah, and you you talk about the importance of the fact that you played penalty kill. Like, I think what what some people don't understand is well beyond the counting stats and, and you know you'd spent half the year right like you hadn't started the year that was the first year of the west coast express you guys kind of come together in december like around the holidays but for guys who 
you know, aren't necessarily the first line center on a playoff team, but guys who are maybe playing lower down the lineup, like that special teams contributions, those ice time uh, sort of stats, like those things matter a ton in this process. Was that evident for you as, as it unfolded? Well, you're right. I mean, a lot of guys have kind of niches kind of that they, uh, that they rely on and, 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 and keeps them in the lineup on, on a nightly basis and keeps them a regular in the league. And for me, it was, you know, you're just trying to paint a picture of, of exactly what type of player you at least think you are and the value you bring to the team. And I think the more points that you can highlight to show, you know, that you're not just a one-dimensional guy, I, I think it adds more value to your case. You're a hockey player. I mean, you, your job is to do what you did on the ice. Like, were you comfortable in that surrounding? And, and did you and your agent sort of, like, did you pre-plan? Were you warned that it could get dirty and get dragged into uh, into the trenches? Like, was there some preparation ahead of the arbitration case? Well, I can tell you one thing. There, there is no preparation about uh, an elephant and a mouse in a jungle. I can tell you that for certain. <laughs> but, you know, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, your agent, you know, has conversations with you, but hey, listen, I mean, there's, there's going to be some things said there that, that, uh, you know, might upset you and, and uh, you might not agree with, but this is just part of the process. And I, and I think as a player, you really just have to have the right demeanor and right mindset. I mean, for me personally, you know, I, I, I just kind of rolled with it. You know, I, I've been, uh, I've heard a lot of worse, a lot of work. I've been called a lot of worse in my, <laughs> on the bench and in the locker room and, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was interesting, you know, as soon as I walked out, Berkey, you know, kind of slapped me on the back and said, Mo, Hey, I hope you understand this is just business. That's not really how we feel about you. So, I mean, you're kind of reassuring on one hand, but on the other hand, you're kind of like, you know, do these guys really think that's what I'm all about or what I bring? But so, so for me, in a sense, you know, I guess, you know, it, it was a nice uh, bump in salary for me, the outcome, etc. But, you know, it was a good motivator for me, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I felt I was kind of right in the prime of my career. And I wanted to go out and prove that, listen, you know, I can do the things that I was talking about in that case. And I'm going to prove you wrong. And uh, so... I think it's how you how you flip it. I mean, you can kind of sulk and hang your head and, and uh, get down on what they say, but you know, you just have to have the right mentality. Well, that's what I wondered. I mean, it's coming up on twenty years, and and we're still talking about it and that story. So, you know, on one level, I suppose there was some lasting impact, but clearly, when you look at your point production and and the way the West Coast Express took off, I mean, you didn't let any of that sort of get to you. Didn't look like you took it personally on the ice. No, not at all. And you can't. I, I think if you do, then I think that's, uh, you know, mentally can drain you and, and, and wear you down. And you know, there could be a little bit of animosity or resentment. Uh, but I never felt that way at all between myself and the organization. And and I think, um, you know, as a, as a professional, you have to understand it's part of the business. And I think, you know, uh, Berkey and Onus handled that way as well. I mean, once things were settled and, and decided, I mean, there was, there was no rehashing really what happened until years later when I see them, we still talk about it. But at the time, it's like, okay, let's move <laughs> on. We're adults here. Let's count, get down to business. It's, it's actually funny that we're, uh, we're talking about this right now because I'm in my office here at home doing some work. And I have a framed picture that my agent got for me uh, a couple months after the hearing. And it is actually exactly of that story where there's an elephant 
walking <laughs> with a mouse on his back, <laughs> the number seven on his jersey. It's it's classic. So I have that, that in my office. Every day I come in here, I see it, and it puts a smile on my face. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Brendan, too, because as a player – in an organization, and you were acquired by Vancouver as a very young guy, right? Like breaking into the league still. I mean, you'd played, but... And, you know, the types of motivation that you get from the organization up until the moment you step into that arbitrator's office or the, or the, the room, the conference room, um, is so different from what you hear in that moment, right? Like it's a, it's a complete shift. And then, as you said, you know, Berkey takes you aside and it's back to normal right after... Is that like? Does that compare to any other type of experience you had in this business as a player? You know, it's unique in that sense. I mean, like you said, when I was acquired by Vancouver, I was, you know, I, I came into the league a little bit older, if you will, after playing college. So I played my first game when I was twenty-two. I was traded to Vancouver um, when I was twenty, just twenty-four, turning twenty-five that year. So still, you know, fairly young in my career, like you said. So, you know, when they bring you in as a young guy. You know, they kind of tell you what they, they want to see from you and what they expect. And then, you know, a year and a half or, you know, two years later, it's like, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. <laughs> but so it is it is unique for sure. But like I said, there was never really any resentment at all on my part. And, and I think the team did a great job of, of handling it as well. But I think other times that, you know, might be similar to that is, you know, if when you get traded, okay, there's, mm. you know, some mixed emotions from the team that, you know, maybe trading you that, you know, you think in your mind, well, geez, uh, they obviously think I can't do the job anymore or, or I'm not qualified to do what they want. And then when you get to a new team, it's like, hey, they're opening you with or welcoming you with open arms. And hey, this is, you, know, you have a great track record. This is what we want to see from you. You know, you're excellent at this and this is why we brought you in. So, you know, they kind of pump you up and, and, and build you up again. So, again, uh, I think there are some emotions when, when there's a when there's a trade for sure. Yeah. And when you think about the era, like, you know, you, you went through arbitration two CBAs ago, basically, or three CBAs ago, excuse me, now. Um, but the, you know, the year before you went to arbitration, like 17 guys did it. And there's no way, like, maybe we get one this year. You know, you never see more than one or two in a season. Having been through it as you you know, went through it 18 years ago. Um, like, look, do you understand why there's so many more settlements just based on the experience you had? I can see. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I just think some guys don't want to be bothered with, with uh, going through the process and, and, you know, mentally might, might not be in the, might in the, in the right mindset to handle it, to be honest with you. And I think that might not just come from the players, I think that comes more from their representatives and their agents who may have had some other uh, clients go through it and, and and seen firsthand if, hey, what kind of effect does this have on my player or on my client? Mm -hmm. you know, is it beneficial or is it detrimental? You know, if we're not that far away here, um, you know, there's a good chance we can get this thing worked out and, and it's maybe not worth, you know, putting my guy through this. Yeah. And and then a last question that I've sort of been kicking around, and I know that there's a lot of smart guys working for various front offices around the NHL who, who think along similar lines. But in baseball, you have a style of arbitration where you've got like a panel of judges and it's called final offer arbitration where they literally choose a winner. 
like one side presents a better case and that's the contract that the player gets. And in the NHL, obviously, it's sort of more of a split the baby with one person sort of compromising between the two sides. And and the theory is, is that if you go in and you have to present a case that's going to be like one as opposed to just sort of setting a number and, and hoping for something in between your number and the other filing uh, that you bring the sides closer together, right? Like the sides don't go quite so extreme w- with the file sort of gaps that we see. As you consider sort of what I've walked you through there from a player's perspective, um, do you think the arbitration process as it's set up and as you experienced it was maybe needlessly adversarial and and that it could have been structured in a way that, um, you know, helped sort of avoid the types of mouse on elephant stories uh, that got thrown around? Yeah, like I, I know even back when I went, baseball was like that as well. And, and you're right. I mean, that, that makes for a, a much more interesting scenario. I mean, you got to have 100% confidence in your case when you enter in that scenario knowing it's, hey, take it or leave it type of thing. But you're right. I mean, typically for hockey, from, from you know even my experience and other guys that have been through it, you know, I'd say 90 Five percent of the times, it's it's pretty much a split down the middle from what you're asking and what the teams are offering, or split on the money differential. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you're yeah. five hundred grand apart or whatever, they always seem to hit that two fifty mark right there. Um, but yeah, I, I think to, to get back to the point you made, I, I think there's, um, you know, the, the baseball uh, kind of methodology would definitely push both parties, management and and the player and his representative to to work together to get something done because I I think you know going into that there's a little bit of fear on, on either side like what's going to happen here and um, you know even when I went into I mean I remember the the night before we went in I you know we still thought we were going to get a deal done before we we went into our hearing and and the last conversation we had with Vancouver is you know this is our final offer and if you get one more penny than what we offer you know, we're going to walk away from the deal. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I know it's a negotiation. I, I, I get that. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, okay, you know, I love Vancouver. You know, I, I you know, I've had a chance to play here now for a couple of years. I'm from here. I get to play in front of my family. I get to play in front of my friends. But you're telling me if, if I get the award I want, you're just going to walk away from it and I become a 100% restricted free agent? If that's the worst thing that's going to come out of this, I'm still in a pretty good spot. <laughs> yes, fair enough. Hey, well, let's just, I mean, it's been terrific stuff and great stories, uh, but let's just wrap it up. Uh, forget the mouse and the elephant. Uh, more like three horses when you guys were at the top of your game, the West Coast Express. When you look back now, Brendan, on that run when you guys were one of the best lines in the National Hockey League, like how much fun was it knowing that every time you stepped on the ice, you guys were essentially going to dominate? You know, it's, I, I think like a lot of things in life when you're kind of in the moment and you, you don't have time to really appreciate it. You just are so focused on doing your job and going out and and just playing. And now that a lot of years have passed and, and I think you appreciate it more, um, you know, as an offensive type of player going into a game or, or you know, even breaking that down that further, when you go into a shift and you just feel like, Hey, I have a chance to score every time I step on the ice. Like that's a really, really special feeling, and it and it it doesn't last forever, and it and it doesn't happen all the time. But we had, 
you know, we had a period of time there for, for a couple of years, a few years where we kind of had that feeling and, and it was, it was really special. And, uh, you know, I'm very thankful I was given the opportunity and, and had two tremendous people and two tremendous line mates and Marcus and Todd and, and kind of was able to grow up with a, with a team of young guys at the same time. And obviously my, my only regret is, is our, our playoffs is, and we never had playoff success. And I, you know, to this day, I kind of, you know, it's just this kind of dumbfounded as to why that never happened for our group, but um, you know, not to put a damper on things, but yeah, it, it was a, phenomenal time in my career and, and um, I'm very appreciative of, 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 of what we had. Well, it was fun to watch and it's always fun to catch up with you and really appreciate you taking a little time to join us here on the VanCast. So thanks so much for doing this. Hey boys, anytime, no problem at all. It's, uh, you know, again, thanks for putting a smile on my face today, reliving some memories. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24 seven us-based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Our thanks again to Brendan Morrison uh, joining us here on the VanCast. Uh, two terrific uh, viewpoints on arbitration, Tom, mm-hmm. to get a player who's been through it, obviously, and an agent as well. You know what's amazing to me, Brendan Morrison, and I was uh, covering the Canucks through all of his time here, and he was always a go-to guy, and you heard it there in the interview as well. Uh, it's funny, like, when I stop and I think about Brendan Morrison, I know he went on and played after his time with the Canucks, but, like, I have trouble seeing him as a an Anaheim Duck, a Dallas Star, a Washington Capital, a Calgary Flame, and he finished his career with 11 games in Chicago. Like, I just I don't remember all those stops for BMO after his time in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, the Canucks should have signed him after he did the PTO uh, before the 10-11 season. He could have been right. part of the 10-11 campaign. Like, he was a 40-point player. They could have had him. They could have had him on their fourth line. Um, you know, you understand why they didn't, I think just in terms of them wanting to really keep it affordable on that, on that fourth line, but man, there's no question he could have helped that team, especially after Manny Malhotra got hurt. Um, but yeah, BMO is one of the funniest guys, funniest former Canucks, like the funniest non BXA former Canuck for me is, is Brendan Morrison and, and his perspective on that. The fact that Kurt Overhart bought him a portrait. <laughs> of a mouse riding on an elephant is like my favorite detail that we've mined today. But, you know, when you look at salary arbitration overall, I, I mean, I do think it's still a misunderstood process. It's a really tricky one to cover overall, especially because, you know, the way that the files uh, work, like it's not a gap. It's not a gap. These really are ploys designed to, you know, raise the ceiling and the floor, knowing that the arbitrator is likely to come down the middle and I do think it's fascinating that the PA um, side and the agent side like the system, as it were, whereas teams are convinced that it's essentially broken and in dramatic need of an overhaul. It'll be fascinating to watch, especially when the league returns to a relatively normal state and CBA negotiations unfold the next time, um, whether or not the league and the, and team owners and hockey execs come for arbitration pretty hard. Uh, just because I do think it, it's the way the system's working, the uncertainty it introduces from a team perspective uh, in a salary cap era 
is is a big driver of why we're seeing really good players. Your Andreas Athanasius, your Troy Stetchers, uh, go unqualified year after year at increasing rates. And I, I do think it's a priority, especially for a variety of small market teams around the NHL. Just before we wrap things up, uh, indulge me here for a sec, Tom, because uh, the last episode of the VanCast, we had Ryan Clark, who is uh, who was a terrific guest, new guy on the beat uh, for the Seattle Crack. Not new on the beat because he's been covering the Colorado Avalanche, as he told us, but he's taking over and will be on the beat covering the Seattle Kraken. And it was a pleasure to have him on the show. And look, I fucked up. I That show was briefly titled Hooked on Crack, K-R-A-K. And one of my responsibilities with this podcast is to come up with a title for each episode. And I usually try to make it quick and try to make it witty. Uh, two or three words that reflect what the episode is about. And, um, you know, I, I did it right after the show, hit send, and we always finish with me asking our listeners, the VIPs, for feedback, right? Give the channels and, and we solicit feedback. And we got some feedback and we got some pushback and people didn't like the title. And we quickly changed it. It didn't stay up long, but it was there. And that was all on me. I, I do the titles. So I, I just want to make clear that it doesn't reflect on you in any way. I made a mistake. Um, you know, we talked about building this rivalry between Seattle and Vancouver and these two teams that are tied together. And I called it the Salmon Series. And in my head, I guess I was thinking, you know, fishing and a fish hook and hooked on. And anyways, we lost Jason Botchford to a cocaine and fentanyl poisoning right like the opioid crisis is real it's not to be joked about i get that i fucked up and just in this day and age of transparency i just i wanted to apologize to the people that reached out i thank people for reaching out it tells us that people are listening they're responding they're engaging and so uh anyhow i just i didn't want it to pass and and ryan clark didn't deserve to be kind of roped into that either he didn't know what the title would be when he agreed to come on the podcast so we thank him for doing it it's on me, my bad. Uh, we'll get better. And this is a new opportunity, new show today. And I think it was a good one. Hopefully people enjoyed uh, the discussion about arbitration. And now it's up to me to come up with a, a title that works, that uh, <laughs> doesn't fuck it up again. So <laughs> I appreciate that, man. And, uh, and you know, it's definitely a complicated issue and, and one that, you know, having talked to Ryan about it uh, yesterday a little bit, um, I think he intends to pour into a little bit because we all see where this is going in terms of the sort of puns on the Kraken right. name. And uh, and I do think there are serious issues uh, underlying that, um, you know, whether it's the uh, opioid crisis that you reference or whether it's the unequal distribution of outcomes as a result of law enforcement along racial lines from, you know, the, the crack epidemic, especially in the 80s. And of course, the crack epi epidemic in the 80s was a big sports story, especially with a variety of, you know, high profile NBA players who who had overdose deaths as well. Um, you know, guys like Len Bias. So I, I do think there's a lot to unpack there. I do think he intends to get around to it. And we had a good conversation in the wake of that. But I appreciate you addressing it here. All right, well, let's finish up, as I always say. 
Check out our comment section for each podcast episode of The Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, subscribe now and save. Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. You can receive an all-access subscription for just $1.25 Canadian a month. Can't beat that. Uh, we should mention that uh, you've got a new piece up at The Athletic, sort of looking at where the Canucks are as far as uh, improvement here in this offseason so far. And I know Harm has been busy working away, and I saw he has a new piece still about uh, unrestricted free agents that are out there, not just for the Canucks, but overall in the league, the best uh, that are still on the market. So uh, lots of new material out there at The Athletic right now. Indeed, check us out and and make sure to read Harmon's 10 thoughts on the offseason so far column. Good one. Excellent stuff, scintillating stuff from the boy genius who absolutely crushed it. And we should probably have him on next week to discuss it further because he brought up a lot of fascinating little nuggets there. Our thanks to Alan Walsh, our thanks to Brendan Morrison, thanks to you, the listeners as well, the VIPs. Uh, That's why we do the VanCast twice a week, even here uh, during this downtime when there isn't a whole lot going on. We'll continue to pump out VanCast for you here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. We'll be right back.